0: Welcome to a place of wellness and healing for both your body and mind. Get ready to live a happy, healthy, energized life that totally rocks. You're listening to Straight Talking Natural Health, a no BS podcast for busy women who want to ditch the fatigue, find balance and feel great with your host and naturopath Jules Galloway. Activator Probiotics is an Australian company with a range of evidence-based, condition-specific probiotics. Their range includes clinically researched products and specific probiotic strains which target a number of different health concerns beyond the gut, including low mood, sleep, low iron... Bone health and mild eczema. With an understanding of specific health effects of the gut microbiota, Activated Probiotics is helping practitioners improve the management of some of the most prevalent and chronic health concerns with probiotic solutions and education for their community. You can find out more by heading to activatedprobiotics.com.au or visit their Instagram and Facebook at Activated Probiotics. Today's guest is so bloody awesome that she will be joining us for three whole episodes. When we were teeing up this interview, there were literally so many amazing topics being thrown around that we couldn't choose just one. You see, she is a complete microbiome nerd and passionate about educating people about all the far-reaching effects that a healthy or an unhealthy microbiome can have on the human body. Microbiome health is about so much more than just gut or poo symptoms or clearing bloating or IBS or constipation, although they're important too. But over the next three episodes, we will be exploring three health issues that can be affected by a poor microbiome and we'll talk about the latest research in how to manage them. They might be ones you wouldn't think about. Today's topic is bone density. Yep prevention of that pesky little sucker known as osteoporosis, something that all women should be tuning in for. So anyway, I'll get back to properly introducing my guest. She's got some crazy good credentials. She is a speaker, a writer, an educator, and a qualified naturopath. She has more than 15 years of experience educating on all aspects of complementary and integrative health. She has lectured to undergraduate students in Australia, the UK, and the US, and delivered naturopathic education to healthcare practitioners all around the world. She's also the Director of Education at Activated Probiotics. So she's across all the latest studies and research. I'm so excited about this today. So please welcome to the show, the amazing Rebecca Edwards. Woo-hoo. welcome hi Jules thanks so much for having me I'm so excited to have you on the show today um yeah are you prepared to nerd out are you ready I am so prepared this is this
1: is what I live and breathe for Jules talking to talking to fabulous interested interesting people about the microbiome and how it affects every aspect of your health
0: Excellent. You are my people. All right. Tell us a little about how you came to be so interested in this area of natural health.
1: Such a good question. And it really goes back to the core of everything we know about health and medicine and wellness and people, really. I mean, if you look at it from the most basic level, you know, your digestive tract is literally the core of your being. You are nothing but a collection of bones and organs surrounding a tube running through your center. So it's a pretty important space. You know, when we look as well at the, you know, the the idea of homeostasis, that Uh, That sense of balance that the body brings itself back to. That's intricately wound up with the health of that digestive tract. If you don't absorb your food well, you won't be taking up the nutrients you need for homeostasis and growth. Um, Your hormonal system in your body relies on receiving those nutrients and also on different uh, kind of metabolites and factors that are produced inside the microbiome. The microbiome being, you know, that community of microbes which live on the innermost surface of the digestive tract. So I've always been interested in you know, how the digestive tract health itself drives the health of the body. But then there's also the fact that if we look at you know, naturopathic medical philosophy, there's always been that statement that good health begins in the gut. You know, humans have always instinctively known that. So to me, it's really about unpicking that instinctive knowledge about the importance of gut health and lying, laying on top of it all of the layers of research and evidence-based medicine that we've come to understand in the last couple of decades. And it's just, it's just really the perfect storm of nature, tradition, science, progress, wellness. It's amazing.
0: And you were kind of in the box seat really for being the perfect person for this job, weren't you? Because you've, you come from a bit of a medical family background. I imagine that would have uh, given you some pretty interesting conversations around the dinner table from time to time.
1: Well, you could say that,
0: you know, for a bit of context, my,
1: my dad's a cardiothoracic surgeon who has never had a huge amount of time for uh, alternative type medicine. So that's always fun. Um, My mum was a microbiologist, so for her the whole world is about microbes and, you know, how, how different tiny little beings interact with humans and make us well and make us sick and how we kill them and how we control them. So, you know, when we were kids she would always know immediately what what kind of illness we had and obviously what antibiotics we needed to treat it because that was the subject of her her work and her research. But in recent times, Jules, you know, the worm has turned because my mom is now a qualified naturopath and she combines her biomedical scientific knowledge and skills with her understanding of natural medicine and she teaches in, um, in a medical school. So, you know, it's, I, I guess... I've always learned that it's not one or the other. You don't have to be firmly in the world of more mainstream, I guess, medical science or in the world of alternative medicine. You can walk very neatly with a foot in each camp, if you like. Um, and that's, that's what I aim to do.
0: I love it. Absolutely love it. I've always had a foot in each camp as well. I, I think that that's, I, I, you know, I've been accused of being a fence sitter from time to time, but I reckon you can see more from up there on the fence. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, it's not always the most comfortable
1: space because you risk, you know, you risk being a little bit out of step with people further away from the fence on either side but it's it's a place that makes sense to me you know understanding understanding from that kind of almost that that pharmaceutical gold standard clinical evidence perspective that we really need to know how things work by putting them through those randomized clinical trials but we also need to put that knowledge in the context of understanding holistic wellness and how the body works how the body can heal itself how every part of us you know looks after every other part so to me it's the most important way to view medicine and to view human
0: health and it's really interesting because you've been a naturopath for pretty much the same 20, yeah about 20 years yeah yeah so so if you've been living and breathing this for 20 years but like 15 20 years ago when when I started out in the industry and like I cuz I've been a naturopath for 16 years and they we knew that it came down to the gut we knew that you know you needed to heal the gut in order to have that flow on effect. no matter what health issue people had like our lecturers were always saying when in doubt if you've got this complex case go after the gut first heal the gut first but now we've got the science to actually back up like why we do this and, and how it works, right?
1: Absolutely. And that science is just expanding all the time. I mean, just just in the last few years since I've been in my current role in, in microbiome education, the number of, you know, kind of gold standard type randomised placebo-controlled clinical trials looking at specific strains of probiotics and how they influence very specific clinical outcomes um, has you know has increased enormously it's something that something that the research world is really taking notice of and it's also something that people who care about their health are now really you know really really keen to learn more about as well so it's yeah it's absolutely a growing field
0: yeah and with that we've started to see the research branch out to health conditions and health issues that we we didn't have. Uh, that connection with the gut before, so this is this is why I wanted to get you on to talk about osteoporosis today because like low bone density and osteoporosis i don't know about other parts of the world, but in Australia like really like they just tell you to throw calcium and vitamin D at the person and back away slowly so um, i it's like I love that the research that's coming out now is starting to actually connect the gut and the microbiome. To these illnesses and these health conditions and these health issues that before everyone said, oh no, that's not connected, and like the naturopaths were quietly going, mm, probably still need to heal the gut. Uh, yeah, so are you ready to get stuck up? i I was. I was born ready, Jules. Ah. All right. Tell me a little bit about osteoporosis in general. Like what is actually going on in our bodies as we age to cause this loss in bone density? Can you set the scene? Absolutely. So if we think about, I mean, the first thing really to talk about is
1: bones themselves. Bones are so much more interesting than we give them credit for. They are not just boring white lumps that do nothing. They're incredibly dynamic. They're incredibly alive. You know, bones, we think of them as just these really boring things that are just solid and, you know, don't do anything, but they are constantly changing and looking after you. You know, I mentioned that word homeostasis before, which is that, that kind of that point of equilibrium, the body is always trying to bring itself to the point of perfect balance. And your bones are a really, really good example of this. To kind of to to set the scene, I guess, to put it really, really simply, when we think about bones, there are two major type of bone cells. And throughout your entire life, they are almost in competition. So we have osteoclasts, which is the type of bone cell which breaks down bone tissue and osteoblasts the type of bone cell that builds new bone tissue and throughout your life your bone is constantly building and breaking down building and breaking down building and breaking down when you're a child your osteoblasts are more active because you are growing and you are growing more bones um, at times of increased um, growth like puberty for example your bones are more actively building but once you're an adult and your bones have reached, you know, you've reached your full height um, for women, your pelvis is fully expanded. Once you've reached your adult skeleton, your bones become more uh, more osteoclastogenic. So you're making more osteoclasts, they're the cells that are breaking bone down, than osteoblasts. And the reason you're doing this is, so bone is constantly remodeling to maintain its strength and to keep its nice, smooth shape. So it's building, breaking, building, breaking, and the, the activity of each of those cells is influenced via different hormones which are flowing through the microscopic blood vessels running through bone tissue. So bone is really a great example of how all the systems in the body, you know, the musculoskeletal system, the circulatory system, the um, the endocrine or hormone system—they're all working together to keep your bones healthy and strong. So, where the digestive tract comes into it, well, this is really interesting because, like you said, Jules, for a long time, it has just all been about—well, for a lot, for the longest time, it was all about calcium, and the only way we ever equated diet or nutrition with bone health was around calcium and people were always told, you know, drink plenty of milk for healthy bones, etc. cetera. Um, and then if you're a woman, once you go through menopause, you probably need to take calcium tablets to maintain your bone density because calcium is so important for bone density. So calcium is important for bone density, but there's a lot more to the story than that. Then along came an understanding of vitamin D and essentially, you know, to sum up what we know about vitamin D, Vitamin D's main action on bones is maintaining bones as a reservoir of calcium storage. So the more vitamin D you have in your bloodstream, very loosely speaking, the less calcium will come out of your bones into your bloodstream. So then vitamin D became the new hero for bone density maintenance, but it's a lot more complicated than that as well. If we bring the digestive system health into play, what we can see is that Actually, the health of your digestive tract has a direct influence on maintaining healthy bones especially as you age. When I first came to this subject and I first, you know, we first started talking about putting out a looking at the research around a probiotic supplement for bone density, my initial thoughts were, oh, I guess that a probiotic might help someone's digestive tract absorb calcium more effectively. Okay, I can see how that works but it's so much more than that. It turns out that the microbial composition, so the balance of all the different little uh, bacteria that live inside your digestive tract, they actually influence the activity of those osteoclasts specifically uh, by releasing different um, metabolic byproducts, which which influence the, the, the speed of mitosis. So the speed at which these osteoclast cells actually reproduce in a way. So it's so much more than calcium and vitamin D, joules, like you said.
0: Yeah. Hallelujah.
1: <laughs> Seriously. Well, I mean, if you, you know, we got to this place, absolutely. If you really want to make me see red, start talking about calcium supplements because Oh well, I mean that's a, that's a particular rabbit hole. I probably won't jump down right now. But the you know the broad fact of the matter is that in a modern Western society such as Australia, generally speaking, our diets are not calcium poor enough for there to be a significant, measurable benefit in bone when calcium supplements are used. Calcium supplements are overused in relation to the benefit they likely give. So it's about
0: so much more than calcium
1: supplements. <laughs>
0: There's some loaded questions in there that I could like totally ask about mm, uh, dairy.
1: <laughs> well, again, you know, that that's a rabbit hole I'm always happy to dive down, but um, we've probably got more, you know, more microbiome
0: um, relevant rabbit holes to jump down over this direction too. Yeah. Although I will, I will say, you know, when it became real for me with, was when I was working in aged care and I was doing that in home aged care um, where you're looking after people before they're in the nursing home. So you're going to their homes and sometimes if they were well enough, um, the people we looked after, we would put them in a the car and take them to the supermarket and help them do their shopping. So, like, I I was g- taking these beautiful old people who, you know, and some of them were needing care because they had osteoporosis, right? So I'm taking them to the supermarket and it's my job to, like, push the trolley and to get the things off the shelf for them. And I'm putting so many things in the freaking basket. I'm like, it's like milk and yogurt and then more mm-hmm. yogurt and then some <laughs> custard. Yeah. <and there's-> yeah. <laughs> And then I'm looking and I'm not allowed to say anything because it's not my job to say anything. My job is to take them shopping. So, like, here I am just going, oh, you know, you, you eat a lot of dairy. And they're like, oh, yes, I always have. And I'm like, yeah. How the hell is this happening to these? Like, and and why are we still banging our head against this brick wall when it's like these people are stuffing themselves full of dairy? It, we start we start as children, like three serves of dairy a day, and we carry that through to adulthood, albeit in our latte, and then. Like at the other end, these mm. you know these little old ladies were having custard and yogurt and all the things, and I'm like, it's not doing dick. No, I'm <laughs> gonna say, Jules. I'm I'm guessing that they weren't all
1: sprinting around with super healthy T scores and Z scores either. You know, uh, I'm, I'm
0: guessing uh, they were not unaffected <laughs> by bone density loss. Yeah. So why, why are we all late to the party? Like what? How, how did this go under the radar for so long? Why are we only just talking about this now? It's pretty recent research. I mean the the study that is
1: re- is very close to my heart and I love talking about that was done on three specific strains of lactobacillus was published in the Lancet Journal of Rheumatology in 2019. So we're looking at really recent research. And this was, you know, this was really the first study which found and found a very significant difference between placebo group and uh you know the active group when it came to the role that specific strains of probiotics could play in bone density maintenance. And I think it's really important to point out that we're not, you know, I'm by no means making a claim that a probiotic can cure osteoporosis. That's not not where we're at yet. But where we are at is leaning towards an understanding that the presence of particular strains of friendly bacteria, if you like, in your digestive tract can essentially help to slow down the speed at which women in particular are losing bone mass post-menopause. And that is a topic that should be close to the heart of every woman you know, because in Australia, there are some pretty scary statistics around osteoporosis. You know, there are seven and a half million Australians affected by conditions caused by low, low bone density. And if you're a woman in the Western world, you have a 50% lifetime risk of an osteoporotic fracture, which is far higher than your risk for breast cancer, for example. And yet it's I find this is not a disease that is spoken about as frequently or with as much Uh, care or interest, I suppose, as breast cancer, but it's far more likely to affect all of us. You know, I have a really strong family history of osteoporosis. My, My dear little nan who passed away in her 100th year, she lost several centimeters of height in her last few decades due to osteoporosis. She was a tiny hunched over little thing in constant pain because her spine was compressed. The terrifying thing is that if you do suffer an osteoporotic fracture, you know, you have twice the mortality risk in the first year after that fracture than a woman who doesn't. In fact, you have you actually have a 17% mortality rate in the first year after a hip fracture caused by osteoporosis. Um, that 's pretty terrifying, and that 's for women kind of the age fifty five plus which terrifyingly is not that far away for some of us oh God. yeah so it's you know it, it's also as also as a as a passionate feminist who cares about the fact that women 's health has never really been a focus of public health research, but that 's a discussion for another time i 'm um, pretty interested in knowing what we can do to help reduce the, you know, the osteoporotic burden on women. It's for, I feel like for far too long, it's been accepted that, oh, you know, crumbling bones is just something, something that happens to old ladies and it doesn't need to, you know, we can move the discussion on from, oh, at menopause, your eggs stop releasing, you know, your ovaries stop releasing eggs, your estrogen levels drop. When your estrogen levels drop, your bones start to crumble. Here's a, you know, here's a walker kind of thing and don't fall. We can do so much better than that and it's not about calcium and it's, it's a little bit more about vitamin D, but there's a whole world in our microbiome that we can start to explore.
0: Yeah, and I I really think you're right in that osteoporosis has really been lumped into that same sort of basket as uh, arthritis where people go, oh, it's just part of getting old, you know, it's got a bit of arthritis in my knees now. That's right, and it doesn't, it doesn't need to be. We're understanding more and more about,
1: you know, what something something that we're starting to call the gut bone axis. you know how cool is that I love that there's it. a direct line of communication between between our digestive tract and our bones, and you know we can kind of tune into that line of communication and we can fine tune it and we can influence it.
0: How early do we need to get in and influence it though like at what point are you going to say? modulating the gut is not going to help you now or like how like when it's a really yeah it's a really good question so the study that was published in the
1: lancet in 2019 was actually it was a decent size was 249 women completed the trial and the what the researchers found was that the women who were in the first five years after menopause had the most beneficial effect from taking this probiotic combination. We know that prevention is always better than cure. You know, that's something your mom always used to say when you were little, turns out it's true. And really the aim of working with the gut-bone axis is to prevent excessive bone density loss. In an ideal world, I would love to be talking to women in that perimenopausal period, so the lead-up to menopause, about the gut-bone axis and what they can do. So ideally women in that kind of 45 to 55 age bracket are likely those who will benefit most from this research having said that one of the things that you know that I've been involved in over the past couple of years is it's actually running a, a series of bone uh, bone density clinics where we have we have a collection of portable bone density screening tools And we go out in the community and offer free bone density screening for people who are interested to know what's going on. And what we've been seeing is that even in a population significantly older than that 45 to 55 year range, we are seeing improved bone density um, screenings. And in some cases, followed up by um, improved full body DEXA scans in women and sometimes men who have been taking this specific probiotic combination for uh, bone density maintenance. So to answer your question, you know, at what point is the gut-bone axis kind of redundant, as far as I'm concerned, never. There's always something you can do. And it turns out that that gut-bone axis is, it because, like I said before, because your bones are so busy, they're constantly active, you can influence their activity no matter how old you are yep so we could have even helped out your beautiful old. help nan. my little old nan yeah. but you know what she was so stubborn she would never take any of the supplements i ever gave her so <laughs> she was she was beyond help
0: we all have family members yeah. like that they're absolutely us. <laughs> they're sent to us to just help people we don't know um okay so oh lordy so much that i want to ask you um so does that mean, like, I kind of feel like, you, on one hand, like, do we just say, let's just give this probiotic to everyone, or is there something else that that we should be looking at? Like, why why do people end up in this position where they needed that probiotic to sort out their bone density loss?
1: Well, I can yeah, I can answer that in two ways. To your first question, should we give this probiotic to everyone? Absolutely, um, but more on that. The second question, how did we get to the position where we even need this? Well, there's one word I'm going to give you. It's not going to be a surprise to you, Jules, and it probably won't be a surprise to any of your listeners. It's a word that's used in relation to just about every chronic condition we talk about. It's inflammation. Hmm. And it's, you know, you're, yeah, colour you're surprised, right? Oh, but wait, wait it,
0: hang on. Ooh, really? Yeah. Tell me more. <laughs> sure found i know. inflammation not you again Shock of, found yeah. in the room with the yep. knife in your hand
1: <laughs> absolutely so unsurprisingly as you know you've talked about with many of your guests and as i'm sure all your listeners will be aware inflammation is very often the driver behind chronic disease um, inflammation is you know, the, I guess, the end product of dysregulation in a whole range of body systems. And unfortunately, it is the big baddie with the knife in the library um, (laughs) when it comes to maintaining bone density. So, you know, what it's, it's always really interesting to kind of unpick what we mean when we use the word inflammation, because I remember I've been, I've given lectures before when I've talked about inflammation being the cause of this, that, or the other. And I remember one of the first times I, I did that and I had someone come up to me afterwards and say, what, what do you mean by inflammation? Do you mean like, like when I roll my ankle, like a swollen ankle? Cause that's inflamed. Is that what you're talking about? And so it's, you know, it's kind of just elucidating that inflammation, what we're really talking about is essentially dysregulation of specific immune chemicals, if you like. And then, that leads us down another conversational rabbit hole of what is the immune system and again if you want to break it down to its most simple level the immune system is essentially the hormones chemicals proteins released by specific types of white blood cells and these you know these messenger proteins cytokines influence the activity of other immune cells to bring about Um, inflammatory damage or change or lack of repair. So what's going on with the microbiome and the gut-bone axis comes down to specific metabolites, so substances produced when these very particular types of probiotic are active in your digestive tract. They produce um, various peptides and short-chain fatty acids And these short chain fatty acids influence the activity of particular cytokines to create either a more or less inflammatory environment. I mean, that's kind of putting it most simply. You can also get a lot more detailed and say, you know, it comes down to the activity of Th17 cells stimulating osteoclast formation and bone resorption by producing high levels of um, interleukin 17. Um, rankle, tumor necrosis factor, alpha, macrophage, colony stimulatory factor. But the way I always describe it when I'm out in the community talking to mainly women about, about probiotics and bone density is to say these probiotics create an environment which slows down the rate of osteoclastogenesis, osteoclastogenesis being the activity of those osteoclasts, the cells which break bone down. So essentially, if you are living in a body with ongoing low-grade inflammation, you are very likely to be creating more osteoclast cells at a greater speed than you should be. And this is leading to a faster loss of bone density than is ideal. How it comes back to, you know, gut health itself is related to estrogen. So, you know, what we were saying before about really looking at women and saying, oh, you're not ovulating anymore, bad luck, your bones are going to crumble now. That's the reason that's kind of slightly true is because, oh my goodness, estrogen, we all need to worship at the altar of estrogen. Estrogen is pretty (laughs) much the glue that holds us together. And, you know, it turns out that lots of things start drying up and falling apart when oestrogen leaves town. So, you know, to kind of set the scene about the heroin oestrogen, oestrogen is, well, it's produced in, in, you know, many cells in the body, but the main event for oestrogen production is in the ovaries, Um, you know, the the cell, the organs, which produce eggs in women. And when we reach menopause and ovulation, so releasing an egg every month um, becomes less frequent and then stops altogether, oestrogen levels in women fall off a cliff. And, you know, we're so used to talking about the effects of menopause, mainly on uh, things like night sweats and body shape change. But menopause, you know, one of the things that women don't talk about so much in public, although they're getting a little bit, you know, braver about it or society is becoming more accepting about it, is the effect that oestrogen has on mucous membrane tissue. You know, mucous membrane tissue being that soft lining that lines the inside of your mouth, your digestive tract, and the urinary tract. So, you know, we very much understand that as estrogen levels drop, things like vaginal dryness and urinary mucous membrane discomfort are more likely to occur. Women are likely to experience, you know, um, painful vaginal membranes, increased risk of urinary tract infections, vaginal dryness, all of this, but the vaginal lining is very similar in structure to the lining of your digestive tract. And just as the vagina is becoming drier and the mucin, protective mucin layer of the vagina is becoming thinner and the tissue is more prone to inflammation and damage, well, guess what's happening throughout your entire digestive tract? Exactly the same thing. So what we see postmenopausally is a reduction in the thickness of that protective mucin layer in the digestive tract. This mucin provides fuel source for many of the bacteria which call your microbiome home. So we start to see a shift in the microbial composition of your digestive tract post-menopause. We also see an increase in the permeability or openness of the digestive tract lining. And this means that generally when you think about your digestive tract, you think about it like a tube that things pass through. And if you think about that tube as being made of really kind of tight netting, only substances of a certain size can pass through that netting from your digestive tract into your bloodstream. Post-menopause, the holes in that netting become bigger and larger proteins and structures can pass from the digestive tract into the bloodstream, leading to immunogenic stimulation, essentially. The larger um, the size of proteins and substances passing into the bloodstream, the more the immune system has to essentially attack them and mount an immune response So a drop in estrogen equals an increase in intestinal permeability, equals an increase in immune activation, equals inflammation. So now we've created the perfect scene for bone density to start declining at an alarming rate. And you actually lose the largest percentage of bone density you will lose in the first five years after menopause with the sharpest decline being in the first 12 months.
0: You're kidding.
1: So this is why we really want to talk to women in that perimenopausal phase before their ovaries essentially shut up shop or they've still got some estrogen to be helping maintain their bone density. We really want to start talking to them about microbiome health at that point.
0: Yeah. And that whole mucin layer in the digestive tract is becoming a bit of a hot topic, isn't it? Because I know that a a lot of practitioners, including myself, who've looked at doing gut microbiome testing, there are mucin-degrading bacteria and there's mucin-degrading bacteria and there's antibiotics that you can give people to help to increase the bugs that help with that mucin layer uh, to stop it breaking down. So there's so much research coming out of, of just that one little topic at the moment as well.
1: Well, there really is, and about time because, you know, if you really want to break it down to the most simple level, if you can control the health of the mucin lining, you can control the health of your entire body. It, it really is that simple, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah, right. Mucin is everything, kids. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> bring, on, bring on the goblet cells. Absolutely. <laughs> I'll get you a little T-shirt that's printed yeah. out that says got mucin. <laughs> yeah. You know I'd wear it too. Oh, I know. <laughs> all right, and and all of that 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 flow and effect that you that you mm-hmm. were mentioning, like it's what naturopaths used to love to refer to as leaky gut. It's yes, it is. It's got it is better words yeah. to describe yeah. it, and and a better way of looking at it. So, absolutely, it is the classic leaky gut that yeah, yeah that you know, twenty odd years
1: ago when we were students, Jules, our lecturers used to talk about leaky gut, and leaky gut is a real thing. It's just we've become a bit more sophisticated with how we understand it.
0: Yes, yeah, not just a bucket with holes in it. No. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I love I love that now in 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 the last decade that we've started building on that foundation that we already knew. We just didn't have the way to explain it on that on the scientific level, and now we're on the level because we we can actually delve in and go right. Well, this is the process, and this is what's happening, and now we've got better a name for it.
1: Absolutely. And now also we have some great low-risk interventions that are suitable for, you know, for every woman to take alongside any other intervention she may be taking for her bone
0: health as well. So you were talking about how there are probiotics that slow down the rate of osteoclastogenesis, but there's drugs that do that as well, right?
1: Yes, yes. Uh, I guess the, the best known of that would probably be prolia, which is an injectable drug, which has, you know, does have a significant effect on reducing osteoclastogenesis. Um, But it's it's not a case of people, once they're on prolia, being too far gone. And, you know, what we see is that these... You know these particular probiotic strains which I can I can I can get all geeky and give you their full names if you like Jules. Yep
0: yep yep yes please. Okay so
1: <laughs> we have Lactobacillus plantarum heel 9 DSM 15312. Lactobacillus plantarum heel 19 DSM 15313 and Lactobacillus paracassiae 8700 colon 2 DSM 13434 so very friendly uh friendly names there um oh the old DSM 134 yes, exactly 34. that one yeah know that one that old <laughs> chestnut so <laughs> we i could put, I give them nicknames so for short we call them heel 9 heel 19 and 8700 you know so friendly so mm, these mm. These three strains of lactobacillus have been trialed together and found to have this significant impact on, there are essentially, there are kind of three particular cytokines that they modulate. So they modulate interleukin-6, interleukin-7 and tumor necrosis factor alpha. And these are some of the cytokines or you know inflammatory chemicals, if you like, produced by your immune cells, which really speed up that osteoclastogenic environment. So when you've got a woman who's taking prolia or oh, the other thing to kind of acknowledge is that prolia or denosumab is its generic name. Denosumab is actually a it's a it's a weak immunosuppressant.
0: So use it's a probiotic during covid.
1: <laughs> well, that's another conversation, <laughs> but it um, to be able to take a probiotic alongside denosumab which has what we call an immunomodulatory activity, is is a gift, essentially. It does not interfere with the activity of the denosumab, but it's giving the women who are taking the denosumab or the prolia um, extra benefits, if you like, adjunct benefits, while also helping to modulate that mucin layer, the anti-inflammatory environment, and assisting the denosumab in cr- slowing down the rate of osteoclastogenesis. And I think that's pretty cool. And that really kind of leads into that idea, you know, like we were saying before, that, that probiotics can be taken alongside medications. The thing to remember with probiotics is that they, they don't ever leave the digestive tract. They are live bacteria which go in your mouth, through your stomach, into your intestinal tract, where they then kind of wake up and become active. You know, modern, modern probiotic supplements are all freeze-dried, so they've had the moisture sucked out of them essentially, and they're in a state of deep sleep until they become wet. So when they enter your digestive tract, they get, you know, it's wet in there, so they wake up and they start looking for something to eat. When they're in the lower part of your digestive system, they um, eat or ferment on your food. They eat what you eat. So they eat the fibers, the polyphenols, the various substances that you've consumed. And as they ferment on these substances, they produce um, byproducts um, short chain fatty acids, peptides, various exciting things. And it's these byproducts which interact with your immune cells. The bacteria themselves never leave. Digestive tract. They do not cross that barrier. They do not enter your bloodstream. Now, this is such a gift for patients who are taking prescribed medication or for anyone taking any medication because they don't enter your bloodstream. They don't go through your liver. So they do not interfere with the metabolism of medications. And thus, they are not contraindicated with any medication, whether that's Prolia. Fosamax, calcium, vitamin D, etc. They're not going to have a negative impact on the action of those drugs because they are not in the liver influencing all of those CYP450 enzymes who direct the activity of your medications. Um, which is, you know, feels like feels like a really great space to be playing where we can talk about these evidence based solutions with a great safety profile.
0: Okay. So let's talk strains for a little bit, because I know that a lot of people would be listening to this and thinking, okay, well, like that strain has been studied on that particular health issue. So, okay, we've got this strain, like it's good for bone density. Yay. But how do we know there aren't other strains out there that would also be beneficial? Like, why is it just that strain? Why can't you just go and get any old strain off the supermarket shelf and have it do a similar thing? such a great question. So since I've been working in the you
1: know, the microbiome space, I have learned to think about probiotic strains almost as individual drugs, or to put it in a naturopathic context, like, like different herbs. And each strain has its own mechanism of action, has its own researched clinical outcomes, and will help you achieve a different thing in yourself or your client. So it's really important to know which strain has been proven to do which particular job. It's like, you know, for all the naturopaths out there, it's like making your your herbal formulation, you know, which herb are you going to put in? Um, how many herbs are you going to put together and how how do you know how well they play together? You know, what's the taste like? What's the overall action like? Um, it's like when if you're looking at at pharmaceutical medicine, you know, which drug can you combine with which other drug and and what's the outcome there? And what pathways are they working on and what mechanisms are they using and what outcome are they having? And to me, this takes us back to the beginning of our conversation, Jules, about that interplay between evidence-based practice and naturopathic philosophy and probiotics to me are just the most beautiful example of this with probiotic strains because we can isolate them and we understand you know something that's really interesting to know is that every every strain of probiotic bacteria which has been found to be beneficial to humans a genetic prototype of each of those strains is isolated, mapped, identified and given an internationally recognized strain identification number. That prototype is then stored in an international strain bank, and all of the kind of, um, you know, the products which use that strain will tell you that international strain identification number. So before when I was talking about, you know, for example, um, lactobacillus paracassiae DSM, you know, paracassiae 8700, colon 2, um, DSM 13434, 3, 4, for example, that DSM 13434 3, 4 is the internationally recognised identification number for that exact strain of probiotic bacteria the reason it matters is you know now we're kind of coming to the the pharmaceutical style research that each strain is put through or can be put through randomized controlled clinical trials where the results are measurable and uh, published in peer reviewed journals and the mechanisms are understood what that means is that as a you know as a clinician or as a consumer you can choose a probiotic product which has been proven in a high-quality pharmaceutical-style clinical trial to help achieve the outcome you want to achieve. So let's say you had IBS and you wanted to choose a probiotic supplement to reduce your intestinal pain or constipation. You could then, by understanding the action of specific strains, you could choose a product which contained strains that had been proven to, for example, be antispasmodic. Um, There's one particular strain that I really, really like, uh, Bifidobacterium animalis subspecies lactis BSO1, which produces short chain fatty acids, which interact with the neuromuscular junctions in the muscularis layer of the large intestine. Um, to stimulate peristalsis. So this is a brilliant strain for constipation, but you've got to know to choose a product with that strain in it. We used to you know, just talk about probiotics as though it was almost an umbrella term, like probiotics, those good bugs that live in yogurt and they're good for your gut. But we now know that, like I said before, they're all like their own medication or their own herbal medication and they all have their own actions. When it comes to the gut-bone axis, you need to be looking for strains of probiotic which have been proven in a clinical trial to have that measurable effect when compared to a placebo group of reducing bone density, uh, bone density loss. So it all comes back to, you know, that, that relationship between evidence-based medicine and the naturopathic concept of looking after the gut. All probiotics are good in a way, but if you want a specific outcome such as, you know, improving your uh, or reducing your rate of
0: bone density loss, then you need a specific strain of probiotic to do that. So wait, some of these strains that you've mentioned, are these strains that like do live like you would find in the human body of a healthy person? Well, or this is where it gets it's, yeah. it's kind of foreign to us. Are you introducing a strain to somewhere it's never been before, or should that have already been inside of us if we're like healthy?
1: This is where it gets a little bit icky and people don't like to kind of, you know, conceptualize this, but all of the all of the probiotic strains that that we use come from a healthy human digestive tract. So they've all been isolated from a you know essentially a fecal sample given by a healthy from human a happy poo. that's right from a happy poo <laughs> they are your friends um it's not oh my goodness it's such a big topic because it's not the equivalent of you know have you heard i'm sure jules you've heard the uh the term crapsule before
0: <laughs> <laughs> no okay uh- I'm going
1: to use yeah. that. I love so it. It's not the equivalent of a crapsule, which is literally a capsule with poo in it. That's not what we're doing. What we're doing <laughs> is using specific strains of probiotic, which have been cultured in a clean laboratory, but they were taken from a healthy, happy poo from a healthy, happy human, you know, a long time ago. Um, and you are. As in a probiotic supplement, you are taking a clean version, um, which has never been anywhere near a human poo, uh, but its ancestors have. In terms of do they live inside us? This is a really good question because I remember, and you know, I'm sure it's the same for you as well. When we were naturopathic students, we had this idea that you took a probiotic to essentially recolonize your gut, maybe after you'd had antibiotics or after you'd had a tummy bug and you'd wiped out all of your good bacteria and then you needed to put it back in. So you'd take a probiotics supplement to do that. We now know that that's, far too simplistic a way to understand it. And it's a lot more nuanced than that. And essentially probiotic supplements that you take, they don't become part of your own microbiome. They don't grow inside you. Probiotic supplements are what we call transiently, uh, transiently colonizing. So the way I like to describe it as an analogy is to say they like having the builders in to renovate your house. So, you know, the builders come in, they do a bit of work, They leave and everything looks better than when they left. And that's what probiotics are doing. They're coming in, they're interacting with your immune system and the lining of your digestive tract, and then they're leaving via your poo. But they're leaving your digestive tract in a better state than before they visited and it can then go on to be a healthier environment. It will then be a happier home, if you like, and as it's a happier home, it can attract happier um, people, <laughs> to, for you want of a better term, to live in it. So probiotics are not becoming part of your commensal microbiome, but they are changing the landscape so that healthier bacteria can set up their homes inside you and make your microbiome healthier.
0: Oh, my God. I think I've just spent like the better part of an hour chatting with you going, there's so much I don't know. <laughs> it's but like, isn't, it's isn't like it a rabbit hole off a rabbit, hole, off a rabbit hole, off a rabbit hole. Every
1: single day I go to work and I just think, what am I going to learn today? You know, what is the universe going to show me that... Again, we've always kind of instinctively known, but what is what is science going to prove to us today, and how is that going to alter our understanding of health and wellness?
0: It's just the most exciting thing ever. It is. It's it's so good. Like you are you are the perfect person to be doing this job. You really are. Like it's it's so amazing when you meet someone and speak with someone who lives and breathes it, who's so passionate about it, who wants to go to work and learn new things, like. These are the people we need in our profession.
1: I'm just, I'm still kind of a little bit spun out that I basically, I get paid to talk and geek out. It's um, (laughs) not quite sure how I, how I landed my dream job of just talking about things I love
0: for a living. Welcome to my party. (laughs) (laughs) It is the best thing ever. And that's when you know that you're exactly where you're meant to
1: be. Absolutely. Yeah. I couldn't agree more.
0: Well, I mean, we could – we honestly could keep geeking out for three or four hours and go down all those beautiful-looking rabbit holes, but I'm just going to, like, not look at them right now um, because, of you know, we. I think we need to stop and digest – oh, God, bad – Yeah. P- pardon uh, the pun, girls. What No! <laughs> we do need to stop and digest what we've just learned. Sorry about the pun, uh, yellow card to me. Um, so, uh, look, just finally – If someone was listening to this and they had someone close to them, I don't know, say a family member or a friend who was either perimenopausal or menopausal and they've been told that they've got low bone density and the doctors prescribed one of those icky calcium carbonate horse tablets with the D3 added to it because that'll make it work better. Um, What would you say, like what's the first thing that you need to say to someone to get them to understand that it's not just about shoveling horse tablets of calcium in?
1: I would say, you know, your bone health is the product of your life and your lifestyle. So what can we do right now to, um, you know, let's look at your lifestyle. What can we do to make it a more bone friendly lifestyle? Let's look at your muscle mass, do you need to be working on putting or maintaining healthy skeletal muscle mass because we know that that helps bone density? Um, how much movement are you doing a day? How much out, time, out outdoor time, are you having? Not just for vitamin D, but for you know, for mental health as well and movement. Let's look at your diet. Is your diet now that we have an understanding of the role of inflammation in the gut bone axis and bone density maintenance? Is your diet providing the ingredients to feed a healthy microbiome or is it working against it? Is it full of fibers and antioxidants? And, you know, we know, for example, that a daily intake of olive oil is associated with a higher bone density. We know that. Um, higher intake of polyphenols is associated with higher bone density. So let's look at what, you know, what in your diet has been proven to be helpful. And then let's look a little bit deeper at, is your diet feeding a healthy microbiome? Because did you know that your gut and your bones talk to each other? And if you, you know, if you have a microbiome, which is supporting a less inflammatory environment, you are more likely to hold on to your bone density for a bit longer.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. We we can supply you with those beautiful capsules, but dear listener, you've got to come to the party with something as well. I've got to feed your bugs. <laughs> it's all about the mucin, Rebecca. Yes. It's all about the mucin. Yes. 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 Mucin. Yeah. <laughs> so romantic i know oh you've like you've you've given us lots of romantic chat Mm -hmm. today i think i think we peaked when we were talking about crapsules actually (laughs) yeah rebecca edwards thank you so much for part one of our microbiome chat i'm so looking forward to part two now and um go go have a cup of tea and a rest and um yeah we'll gear up for the next one amazing thank you so much jules
1: it's been it's been so much fun awesome
0: Thanks again to Activated Probiotics for sponsoring this episode. You can find out more about them and see the results of Rebecca's great work by visiting activatedprobiotics.com.au and their Instagram and Facebook at Activated Probiotics. I hope you enjoyed listening to Straight Talking Natural Health. If you like what you heard, make sure you hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Also, head over to my website at julesgalloway.com. There's a free quiz on there to see if you're at risk of burnout. I also have an amazing ebook called Heal Your Adrenals, which is a must for any woman with adrenal dysfunction, aka adrenal fatigue. When I'm not podcasting, I'm seeing clients all over the world via Zoom. I love working with fatigue, thyroid issues, autoimmunity, pyrrole disorder, mold illness and complex cases to name just a few. So why not book in and let's work together. All of this and more is available right now over at julesgalloway.com. That's all from me for the time being. I look forward to diving in with you again in the next episode. Bye for now.